Welcome to Gallcast, Gaulish Polytheist Podcast. Welcome back. I loved all the positive feedback I got from the first episode. It's very, very encouraging. I'm, I'm psyched to keep doing more of these now. I'm also very excited to announce my, uh, my new co-host. They were very generous to offer their time to, to do this, and I couldn't be happier to have them aboard. Welcome to uh, Bran Algara. Hi. You said How's it you going? Didn't... <laughs> it's going all right. Uh, I am currently painting my nails while we do this. Um, awesome. All right. Fantastic. Multitasking. Got to be good at it. What can I say? So, um, well, let's start off with just um, just uh, talk a little bit about yourself at first while I sip some wine. Okay. Well, uh, my name is Branagara. Uh, that is... Uh, Gaulish for a raven's a raven's cry. I have been a Gaulish polytheist for not terribly long, actually. I just found this path in April, uh, but I have been a polytheist for a little over twenty years now. Um, mostly, kind of just sticking to a generic Celtic path uh, that dipped pretty heavily into the Gaelic the Gaelic uh, side of things until I stumbled across uh, Gaulchat and uh tg in i think it was april might have been march i can't remember this year's been sort of a blur uh yeah it's been <laughs> very chaotic for sure definitely uh and uh found i fit here pretty happily and um that most of my deities are in fact gaulish deities which i was super not aware of at the time uh and so here i am yeah, I remember when you when you first came into uh, Gaul Chat and uh, the the Tauta Galation, which is I don't think I explained it in the first episode, but it's a uh, um, a Gaul's polytheist organization. Um, yeah, you were really psyched and you were really eager to go get to the test and and become a member. Um, I remember that I remember that very vividly. And yeah, I think it was about April or so. Yeah, Aprilish. Um, yeah, it it sort of uh, when I found it, it I went searching for it because I was having a, a recurring dream about um, a deity waiting on me. And it was not one I was familiar with and was certainly not one I was already working with. So uh, I went to uh, the Koru priesthood server first. Um, and then they directed me out here to Galchat and I was like, here's the thing. And I got like 30 answers and it was a lot, but that's okay. It was what I needed. <laughs> that's awesome. I, I didn't know that. I knew, I knew you were a polytheist for quite a while. Um, but yeah, I, I, did, I didn't know uh, it was 20 years. Oh, yeah. Well, that's because nobody uh, realizes that I'm literally older than everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I, when people realize I'm like 31, 32, they, they don't think that I'm, that I'm that old. Yeah, um, I am I am approaching 40 next year. Next year I turn 40. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm I'm an old lady. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, something you said earlier that I kind of made me think of something we can chat about real quick was the uh, the Gaulish name. Um, what made you decide a uh, uh, crying uh, crying raven? It's Raven's Cry. Uh, originally, Raven. we were looking at um, my my name is B, like Bumblebee. 
Um, and so originally we were looking at B, but the Gaulish word for B is, uh, in fact, the same name as my sister. And since I get called that enough as a child, I didn't want to do that as an adult also. Uh, so I was trying to think of what is something that can um, describe me, but also uh, kind of honor my deities. And uh, my primary my primary uh, patroness is the Morrigan um, and Kathu Bodva, who is the Gaulish um, battle raven. Uh, goddess of war and uh, a raven's cry uh, came about because I was in the server and I joked that I needed to figure out how to say uh, loud angry bird because well like <laughs> like most military veterans I have an anger issue uh, <laughs> and so this is uh, this is how that came about so uh, Branagara translates to um, a raven's cry because if anybody's ever heard a raven uh, let out a loud cry. It is quite loud and quite distinct. Um, oh, yeah. And then uh, my surname is Morimagi, which is a sea field, um, partially because I love the ocean uh, and partially because my uh, last name in, in English uh, roughly means like a moor or a, um, a bog or a marsh. And there's no word for sea marsh. So the closest we could get was Seafield. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I remember um, uh, Nellos, and uh, I think someone else was helping you work on that for a while. Uh, I want to say it was Nellos and... Oh, gosh. Uh, I don't even remember. <laughs> that was in, like, April or May, and yeah, I've slept since then. <laughs> <laughs> well, real quick, uh, uh, Artokatos means... Um... Uh, war bear or battle bear and i i chose that because uh i i wanted to honor my uh my military past as well and um the fact that i've just always been very drawn to and very close to bears and my one of my main deities is rto so um battle bears <laughs> war bears seem to, to fit very well with me um but uh just to kind of I mean, I love the Gaulish names, and that was something really cool when uh, when I first uh, got into uh, Gaulish polytheism. And I don't think it's necessarily anything we have to do. It's just something that we like to do to uh, kind of, um, I guess, I think in a it way, helps us feel more connected. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, for me, it felt more more connection to the ancestors in a way. You know. Yeah, that is. Uh... That it, that in itself is something that's uh, new for me at all is working with ancestors. So we should cover that at some point. <laughs> Maybe not absolutely. this episode, but at some point. No, absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have a whole section of my altar devoted just to the ancestors. But yeah, that that's definitely something we'll have to cover at a later date. So, uh, what you said you were more of a like a generic. I don't, maybe not generic, but kind of just like a rough Celtic pagan uh, uh, for a while up until you found out, you know, discovered Gaulish polytheism. Yeah, uh, I started out in um, in the well. What brought me was, you know, the disillusionment of Christianity uh, in the first place at the ripe old age of eighteen. Uh, and then I moved, I, I had a friend who is, a, was a high priestess of a coven and, um, she started talking to me about, uh, 
paganism and polytheism and all of that. And she follows the Egyptian deities and she has been dedicated to them for quite a long time. And uh, mythology always, I found incredibly fascinating. So I started looking into that and I connected with Anubis and Bastet and Sekhmet. Uh, and there's always been a kind of a, a battle theme or a, or a death theme in, in all of my, in all of my, my, years of being a polytheist and that's largely i think because i was in the military as well um and uh we talked about it and i started working first with those three and then they sort of just uh guided me along until i switched from that to the norse pantheon trying to figure out where i fit and egyptian definitely wasn't it uh so i comedic Definitely wasn't it. I'm very not comedic. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I started looking at the Norse Pantheon and I worked with them for maybe like a year, uh, but they just sort of did the same thing where they just sort of guided me along until I found where I fit, which was with the Morrigan. Um, and I've been with her for probably a little over 15, 16 years, somewhere around there. And I just, I say generically Celtic because it was generically Celtic. I didn't have a ton of information. I didn't have access to, you know, a large amount of history. Unlike a lot of younger polytheists, uh, everything for me was actual books. <laughs> <laughs> and so we didn't have the the huge range of availability that the internet gave us. Uh, it was still pretty eh, like my usability <laughs> for it wasn't great. Uh, and so I had to try and figure it out on my own and, uh, just kind of went based off of my own personal gnosis and interactions with others who, I mean, definitely followed different pantheons. I didn't get exposed to another Celtic practitioner until I was probably 20, 25, somewhere around there. Uh, and so it just was very generically Celtic. I knew a little bit here and there. I was able to pick up a book here and there, but I was uh, definitely a, a Wiccan flavored Celtic, uh, which is fine. I, I am a practicing witch. I'm just not Wiccan anymore. I haven't been Wiccan in no a long here. time. A lo well, a lot of us start off in Wicca. Uh, it's available. It's 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 readily there. It's it's very easy to to find basic information on Wicca, and so Wicca is where I started because I was also uh, a, a practicing witchcraft and craft. And with Wicca, witchcraft is intrinsically tied into it, and they're they're not really something you can separate. So um, once I left Wicca, which honestly I was practicing Wicca for maybe like five or so years, um, so I think I've not been practicing for ten. 15 years, something like that. I don't know. It's a, it's, it's been a long time. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, been, it's been a hot minute. Uh, and so I switched over to just kind of a, I separated out my witchcraft practice from my religion. Um, and my witchcraft is very secular um, comparatively to a lot of other people. Um, and my focus on my religion was mostly just me trying to hide from the Morrigan when I 100% shouldn't have been, uh, and she doesn't handle it well. <laughs> so, uh, 
it just kind of grew from there. And I followed the Morrigan um, and then Kernonos came in um, not long after the Morrigan. Kernonos came in because I am uh, gender fluid, though I did not know it at the time. I did not acknowledge it at the time. And so I needed that balance of the masculine to offset the feminine. Um, and then from there, it added in uh, Katu Bodwa. Uh, she just uh, arrived, uh, announced herself effectively, and then just settled in for the long haul. And that's been about eight years. Um, <laughs> so my my generic Celtic uh, grew to a more Gale flavor um, probably like 10 years ago. It started taking on a more a more Gaelic aspect. And that's largely because uh, information became more readily available. The internet was far more helpful than it was before. Um, things like that. So it was uh, it was easier to get the the basic needs met of being able to find basic information. And so uh, that's why it was heavily Gale. And then Gale led me here and I got dumped a ton of information dumped in my lap inside of like three days. Uh, <laughs> worked out who the <laughs> deity was, and that was Camulus, uh, and um, just kind of went from there. And the last six months has just been me trying to stuff information in my head, like trying to put straw in a pillowcase, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, trying to adapt my my faith and and how I interact and and what I do to accommodate. Um, and and fall more in line with uh, the Gaulish the Gaulish view of things, which has been very good for me. Has made me far more active. Um, and while it is incorporating a lot more Gaulish than Gale, the Gale is still there because the Morgan is a Gaelic god. Um, and so she every, everything I do with her is very Gale, and then everything I do with everybody else who is Gaulish is very Gaulish, and it makes it a little interesting when you're trying to balance that out because those are some some pretty drastically different between the continental Celts and the and the insular Celts. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> viewpoints are a wee bit different. Um, it's so just a little often. It, it is so sometimes it's a little weird. Um, like uh, my daily devotions have shifted to a Gaulish, uh, a Gaulish feel and more of a Gaulish flavor and more uh, of a Gaulish style, which has been kind of interesting because even with my daily devotions to the Morgan, um, they are more Gaulish now than they are Gale. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she doesn't seem to mind, so I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny you say that because uh, it, it, in a way, like uh, kind of a weird story, but. Uh... Before right right before I became a polytheist, um, I was playing a game called Smite, and in Smite, the Morgan is a playable character, and I just remember I know. like I've seen the imagery. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I remember just I love that character, and it, she's really difficult to play as, but um, it it in a weird way it did kind of it was a kind of a stepping stone into becoming a polytheist because from there I, I I from playing that game I wanted to. Uh, read more about this this deity and and uh, I, I started getting more into mythology again I, i've always been obsessed with myth, uh, mythology since i was uh, in like fourth grade or so and then um, egypt. That led... egypt did it for me because when i was a kid egypt was fascinating just fascinating oh, yeah. for me yeah i mean i uh, i i yeah we did uh, i think third grade or so is when we learned about egypt um but yeah, just like I was, you know, I was adult. I uh, this was, you know, I was like twenty, twenty nine, thirty ish. Um, 
and yeah, I just like I started diving into books. I started looking online, and and eventually I ran into Artio and Cronunos, who uh, really helped me along. So it was like the Morgan was was very much a stepping stone, uh, in, in a way through a video game. Um, but like like you, uh, I um, I also worship some Norse deities. It mainly just Tyr and um, I you know sometimes Freyr and Odin, but. Uh, Mainly tier and but yeah, even when I even when I do little uh, daily offerings to them, it is in more of a gaulish fashion, and they don't, as far as I can tell, they don't really seem to mind. I think it's more that you know it happens at all that it's sort of just it's it's done. They're respected. They're uh, they're, revered. Be, they're being honored. Yeah, because I keep um, I still keep an I keep a, a family altar that is because uh, my whole house is very different because <laughs> we've got i'm gaulish polytheist my partner is a heathen with a gaelic deity that offsets he he follows um odin and then also kaliak which i know i'm butchering the pronunciation of um <laughs> but i can't pronounce anything correctly because you know american uh and oh, then yeah. my uh my stepkid they um are uh hellenic Oh, <laughs> and so our family altar is just sort of where, uh, like it's a loose array of the deities that are in that are honored in this house, but aren't necessarily directly worshipped. So, like I've got Frey and Freya up there, and I've got uh, Bast and Anubis and Sekhmet and um, <laughs> Apollo, and <laughs> it's just this weird array all on one altar. And they, they, when I do my, my daily devotions, I go through and I do my deities and then, uh, I go and I, I give them offerings as well and, and a little quick devotion, but it's, it's just a very strange house. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for, you know, I, I got my, my, my one altar in the house. I, I kind of, everyone's free to use, uh, my fiance is kind of agnostic. Uh, she still has some, uh, um, some Christian views, but not like not in a bad way or anything like that. But uh, she's she's um, very interested. You know, she she's very supportive of of what I do and what I what I worship and what I practice. That um, you know, she, she's uh, you know, she's had dreams of ravens before, so she's very fascinated with uh, deities like Nantiswelta and uh, um, not so much Katu Bodua because she, she she doesn't she's like intimidating. The if she's intimidating, <laughs> yeah, a little intimidating um the morgan kind of scares her a little bit but she is still fascinated with with ravens so uh but so someone mentioned nanta swelta to her and uh uh she's been kind of interested there my kids are they're just they just are what they are my 10 year old says that he wants to be a polytheist as well but he's not very practicing he's a 10 year old boy so you know it's yeah so like the only ones he knows about are like mars and thor's all the you know the big masculine ones yep Well, that's also uh, pop culture exposure, largely too. Oh yeah, that's my six-year-old. He he like the only thing he knows about Thor is what he's seen in the movies. I mean, and who wouldn't like that? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's ideal. Well, stick around. When we come back. We'll be talking with Nelson about the Caligny calendar and the holidays. See you soon. <laughs> Welcome back. We are here with the one and only Nellos. Just introduce yourself, buddy, and we'll uh, get right on to it. Hi, uh, I'm Nellos. 
Leitonelos Torbogenos. I am one of the founders of Bestus No Yogalotian, that is BNG, and I'm also a member of Toto Galetian, TG. Um, I'm from Ohio, and I've been in Galashustum for two and a half years, I believe, and I live with my wife and a frequent guest on many voice chats done in the community. Right on. So, um, why don't just before we get into the Caligny calendar, um, why don't you explain the uh, the holiday that was today? Ah, Kentigiamos. That is Scottish for the start of winter, and it occurs normally around two first quarter moons before the winter solstice. It is mainly a holiday that is about uh, giving reverence to one's ancestors. Um, be they of blood or of culture or of inspiration. You know, this is common uh, with people that are involved in political movements, for example. You said it's, an, it's one that's common with people involved in political movements. I know this is a little bit of a digression, but I'm kind of curious how. No, I mean the concept of ancestors being venerated in, in the purview of activism Okay, gotcha. Right. So, like, often people in various civil rights movements, uh, folks that are in, folks that are in certain customs, uh, I guess we might call them polytheistic customs, will often venerate people who are influential to a given movement that they're in. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So the main part of Kentigelmos is, of course, uh, veneration of ancestors, um, and particularly in B and G, one of the things that we employ in regards to that is the worship of Ogmios. And so Ogmios becomes one of the uh, the other main focus of Kentigamos. You know, the, and the reason for that is that there are instances in the lore where they mention Heracles. And during the time in which the people we know of as the Gauls were in contact with, uh, with the Greeks, one of the things about Greek lore that they seemed to enjoy was the lore of Heracles. However, really in Gaul was it ever as simple, it seems, as just taking a deity at face value. So what they would often do is basically gallicize it. So it's not so much that that they were in particular worshipping Heracles, but that the way they would have perceived a deity takes on took on a form of its own. So in regards to that, one of the ways in which Gauls had done this was through their god Ogmios. So whether whether Ogmios emerges from the knowledge of Heracles or whether Ogmios was already a deity and Herculean lore was added to his Mythological and cultural existence, we don't really know. And we'll definitely cover Agnios in a, in a later episode. But um, just to clarify, because I I know in various Discord servers, a, a common question is: Is Agnios in any way related to Gaelic Ogma? Uh, the thing about that is that generally not willing to say anything like that. Mainly in the sense that, like, there might be a linguistic connection there, but the way deities were engaged with are very uniquely a product of cultures they come from. And sometimes a deity crosses those borders, and when they do, that relationship is totally different. And so when that relationship changes, 
you know, in a sense, we're looking at a new deity uh, because it isn't just the being, but it's also the way the being is related to. So yeah, looking at so looking at um, the Irish Ogma and Gaulish Ogmios, yeah, I mean, I'd still say they're two very different beings. But um, there could, you know, the, there's a linguistic, possible linguistic relation there. I'm not very well versed in in um, Irish linguistics, but but it seems, you know, that seems like it makes sense. But yeah, the the way the way they're related upon is, you know, is is a product of their given cultures. So, Agma, regardless of whether or not he's related to Ogmios, is very much. You know that relation is very much a product of you know Irish culture at the time, and as as it is with everything else and the Gauls. So, so that's generally the way I, I tend to look at that. Right on, right on. Now, uh, un- unfortunately, I wasn't really able to partake in the festivities today. What exactly did we all do to to celebrate this holiday? To answer that question, it comes in two parts. Uh, the first part being that the i suppose we might call it the more ritualistic aspect of it so we did two rituals today one was the first one was to you know to the ancestors you know the roganesia and the second to Ogmios, of course so those are who we do our rituals to otherwise you have the things that one may just do you know, various activities that one might enjoy on a on a holiday. And so for Kentiyamos, you know, one of the things I enjoy doing is I like having some cider because we're talking about, you know, what would traditionally have been around the end of the harvest season. So, you know, something like apples they would have had access to. And, you know, so, so things involving apples tend to be very important. I mean, this is, you know, the beginning of winter. So, you know, we're talking about, you know, the changes in the, you know, outside, you know, with, uh, you know, the changing colors of the leaves, you know, autumn, I suppose, uh, because the Gauls generally interpret there being two seasons. So, you know, what we, what people today may think of as autumn kind of gets divided in that, you know, as the end of summer, beginning of winter, you know, so for me, mainly, um, apples, we, you know, we enjoy, you know, various sweets and confections, um, you know, we tend to have a, you know, we have a good meal. Which pretty much any Gullet holiday would have a good meal with it. You know, so uh, specifically, uh, we enjoy uh, beef dishes. At least I do. Uh, that's something we do in our home, in our Tegos. You know, and otherwise, I would say this is an excellent time for divinations because we're at a thin state as far as this is a time in a lot of Indo-European cultures where there's this, I put it, liminal space. So... It's not uncommon to see, you know, things like uh, spirits being associated with this time of year um, or their ability to enter our world. Hmm. Okay. I, um, we had pumpkin pie and apple cider (laughs) in our house. Yeah, I'm actually enjoying a cup of cider right now. Yeah, mainly. So, yeah, I'd say the activities for this time of year, uh, divination is a great one because, you know, you have certainly spirits afoot this time of year. So that's a big one, I think, is uh, divination. And then otherwise, I would say enjoying the fruits and products of the season. You know, so of course, that'll be different depending on where someone lives. Uh, here, it's definitely pumpkin and apple related things. Obviously, they didn't have pumpkins in Gaul. 
you know, but for folks that are looking to localize, you know, like in this, you know, in this part of the, in this part of the United States, especially like in Ohio, you know, uh, we have no shortage of pumpkin patches, you know, and pumpkin pie is a favorite this time of year as it is in, you know, a lot of other places as well. Yeah. So really, yeah, that, I mean, those to me are the, those to me are the bigger takeaways uh, for this time of year. I think that other than the association with ancestors, um, I think it's because this is the time we kind of look inward you know, and we tend to move back to, at least in our sphere of activities, tend to start moving more towards back inside. You know, so I think it's natural and normal that as we enter a time, especially back then, which would have been a time of great uncertainty, winter would, that, you know, we would look to people that had survived many other ones in the past uh, for guidance. You know, obviously in, you know, in a world with our infrastructure now, we're you know, most people have access to who live in cold weather climates, heating and such. So it's most dangerous, but carry on, you know, that spirit and, you know, that sense of tradition, I think is very important. So I'd say, you know, looking to the ancestors for guidance makes sense. And for Ogmios and to bring back to the point of, you know, likening him to Heracles is that, um, you know, one of the important things about him in that regard was that, you know, he was said to be an ancestor of the Gauls. You know, they said that that was the ancestor of the Gauls. You know, and so in a custom like B&G, for example, you know, we definitely took up that. You know, we took up on that quite a bit. All right, uh, the last thing on Ogmios that I'd like to offer in relation to his position as ancestor, and the, one of the reasons why uh, Bessasnoyu Galetian picked Ogmios, uh, picked Ogmios in that sense, so to speak, uh, was something that uh, Ralph Hausler said in his uh, treatise called uh, From Tomb Temple, the Role of Hero Cults in Local Religion in Gaul and Britain during the Iron Age and Roman period. It's quite a lengthy title, in my opinion, but hey. Uh, uh, what he said about Ogmios was this. He said, Indigenous deities like Ogmios appear to be heroes par excellence, comparable to Heracles, whose heroic deeds were already known in pre-Roman Gaul. In this view, it should not surprise us that Parthenius of Nicaea considered Hercules to be ancestor of all Gauls, and that Ogmios could be seen as the god from whom all life originates. Yes, so this we found rather poignant, and in the search and navigating the debates about um, who, like, the deity is that is, um, you know, like the ancestor of the Gauls, yeah, this is, this is how we planted on Ogmaus. So we have a deity who was likened to Heracles, and although it should be said he is not the only one uh, that was, uh, Smertrios comes to mind as well. Smertrios was found on the Pillar of the Boatmen in Paris, actually. I believe under Notre Dame. But anyway, that, that's how we landed on Ogmaus. So, you know, if, you know since uh, Parthenios of Nicaea claimed that the Hercules was the ancestor of all Gauls, you know, Heracles, and Ogmios was quite clearly likened to him. There was actually, um, it was in a satire written by a Lucian of Samosata, where he talks to a Gaulish man about a mural he sees. And in this mural, he sees this, you know, old man with deep suntan skin, with chains hanging out of his mouth uh, to the ears of a band of listeners, it seems. You know, a band of followers. And, 
you know, uh, Lucan was disgusted to see, you know, Heracles depicted in this way. You know, as he said that he had all of the other Her Herculean attributes, such as, you know, he had the bow, the club, you know, and the pelts of the Nemean lion. And, you know, the Gaul, in essence, said to him that the way we see him, we see the greatest strength is in eloquence. You know, so it was befitting to us that a god who showed great strength you know, that his greatest strength would be in his speech and eloquence. Uh, that because eloquence could bind people to your will better than strength could. You know, and that eloquence reaches perfection in old age. You know, and that's why Ogdos was depicted as old. You know, but anyway, seeing as he had all these traits that the Gauls admired and how he was likened to Heracles in the first place, and, you know, with the claim that, you know, with the claim that he was the ancestor of all Gauls, it, it made sense, you know, that that would be Ogmios' house. Right on. That's awesome. So, I know a lot of these holidays are reconstructed based on the Caligny calendar. What is the Caligny calendar, and where did it come from? Oh, uh, the Caligny calendar, you know, was, um, it was a bronze calendar that was found in, uh, well, in Caligny, in eastern France, in the territory of the nation that was known as the Sequani. You know, so it was, yeah, and it was found in, I believe, 1897. We, so we found these fragments, um, and luckily for us, because, you know, it's a calendar, you know, it, you know, and repeats, uh, scholars are fairly confident that they, that they know the full layout of the calendar. Now, of course, it's hard to you know, speak to that specifically, you know, I mean, oftentimes, you know, we find we think we absolutely know something and it turns out we don't. But in this case, because of its repetitive nature as, as a calendar ought, ought to have, um, you know, they're pretty confident in their reconstructions of it. One of the things about the Caligny calendar is that it is a lunisolar calendar. So it correlates the cycles of both the sun and the moon. Uh, this is different than, of course, uh, the Gregorian calendar, which only takes, um, solar motion, you know, um, our revolution of the sun into account, you know, so, um, the days alternate on the calendar between 30 and 29. Traditionally, there's one month equos, which, uh, sometimes go down to 28. But generally speaking, generally speaking, the months have either 30 or 29 days. Uh, they're marked matis, uh, meaning, uh, good, lucky, auspicious, and unmatis, which is the opposite of those things. One of the things that, one of the parallels uh, to that that strikes me is the Attic calendar, which was used by ancient Athenians, uh, which marked months as full or hollow. Uh, so I found that quite interesting that uh, they had marked their months in that way, and then the, Gaul, the Gauls had uh, matis and unmatis. Now, does the uh, matis and unmatis, does that, does that link along with fertile and infertile times of the year? No, that actually alternates between the months. So like one month will be matis, the next month will be unmatis. Matis months are the months with 30 days, and then unmatis months are the ones that uh, have 29. So another definition might also be complete and incomplete months. But that is that is why those months have those uh, terms next to them. Interesting. Yeah, okay. so they go back and forth. So I'm guessing that the complete incomplete is incomplete is 29 days, complete mm -hmm. is 30? Yes. Again, like I said, there's a pretty striking parallel to that at calendar, uh, which marks uh, full and hollow. I don't remember the Greek names for those. Yeah, that was the, so. That, yeah, that was one of the things I found striking uh, when I when because um, you know there are often different um, different takes on the calendar, and you know 
some of them I had read through. And then uh, that was one of the things I noticed when looking at other uh, calendars from different Indo-European cultures. Um, now, you said that it's lunisolar, so it's going to take into account both the moon and the sun. Now, the sun's pretty consistent on how it how it functions, but the moon shifts through the moon phases. Do they take that into account? Uh, they did. And I mean, I, I mean, I suppose the moon is consistent as well, but, you know, when, but in comparison to the solar year, not quite. And so the reason, so the way they accounted for this was to occasionally, because the Caligny calendar generally ran on five-year cycles, is that they would, during two of those years, they would add an extra month. Uh, this allowed them to account for the the disparity in cycles between the sun and the moon. And this allowed them to bring them somewhat closer together. Now, there are a few theories regarding that, regarding what else they might have done with the calendar. Um, some have proposed Equos having 28 days on some years. Um, that, that would boost its accuracy quite a bit. Another thought is that one of the years were taken out of the five-year cycle every four cycles. So you would have a 19 instead of 20-year cycle. Originally, the cycle of years was 30. It had later went down to 25. There are some who suspect it may have further than went down to 19. And when you do that and you, you know, occasionally drop a day off of Equus and you remove one of the intercalary months in the five-year cycle and one of the five-year cycles and you eliminate one of the five-year patterns, uh, one of the years out of the five-year patterns in that cycle, you basically have a metonic calendar, uh, which would not have been surprising you know, for them, for them to have known about considering their frequent contact with the Greeks that it went on for centuries, honestly. So there's a few theories on the historical construction of the Caligny calendar and then how to use it today, you know, that, that occasionally has the, that degree of disparity, you know, the suppositions about whether or not uh, they did the same thing in the past. Yeah. So yes, intercalary uh, months were added you know, usually in those five-year cycles in years one and three. And this allowed it to, you know, retain a pretty high degree of, you know, a fairly decent degree of accuracy. Um, if the theory that there was a metonic relation holds sway, then it would be undoubtedly quite accurate. Now, um, in the last episode, I, I had talked a little bit about uh, Catulessia, which I, I'm pretty sure is, is essentially a, a totally reconstructed holiday. Are there any holidays that we have that, that we know that the Gauls celebrated or are they just for the most part reconstructed? All right. Well, the first thing, yeah, I mean, I mean, Cato Celestios is definitely one that like quite strictly uh, comes into play currently, you know, amongst people in, in the Gaulish community today. I mean, if for no other reason, then there was nothing about it to suggest that that battle was marked, especially because, um, you know, because the Battle of Alessia happened in Werni territory, and the Caligny calendar uh, comes from what was once Sequani territory, uh, again, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, the, so so to our knowledge, no, uh, nothing on the calendar seems to suggest that they had marked the day. So, yeah, something that we can, uh, not not me personally, but something that, the, that had been around in the community for a few years before I had joined as well. Uh, I believe someone named uh, David Natos had come up with it. But yeah, Cota Celestius, so of course, is a modern thing. Um, we used the calendar app 
there's a really good uh, Caligny calendar app to backtrack Cuts of Celestius to the 17th of Agronios, which is pretty interesting because that means uh, right around the third quarter moon in the month of Agronios every year, Cuts of Celestius is observable in that fashion. Uh, because in uh, Bessus New Collision and B&G, all holidays are, are based around and revolve around the Caligny calendar. So we have no Gregorian, uh, no holidays are based on any, anything in the Gregorian calendar. Uh, so it was important for us to find that date and utilize it in that fashion. Otherwise, think on the Gregorian calendar, it's October 3rd, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. I think so. But yeah, and like especially in Bessus Neuglotian, um, it's the 17th of Gregorian, which of course would fall on very on different Gregorian dates. This year it fell on the 10th of October, and we had an observance then as well, uh, which is quite an interesting ritual. So as far as other holidays go, the only one that we seem to have like a fair assumption as far as a named holiday in which people celebrated uh, would be uh, Trenoch Simoni, the Three Nights of Simonios, which occurs on the 17th of the month of Simonios and presumably the two nights after that. So that's the only one that we have like directly named, at least on Caligny calendar. You know, so, however, however, on calendar itself, uh, one will find clusters that say Iwos which is believed to mean holiday or feast, movable feast, something along those lines. And those occur at fairly regular interval intervals throughout the year. So like in the dialogues of current practice, because um, scholars don't know what time of what time during the lunar cycle the month started in, we just know that they started in relation to a, to the lunar cycle. Um, one of the ones we've been using in BNG is, of course, the first quarter starts the month. And by doing that, it allows a clear division of the month where the first quarter moon starts at the third quarter moon starts the second half of the month. Uh, months on the Caligny calendar were divided in halves. You know, so uh, 15 days for the first half always, and then 15 or 14 for the second half, which again is probably part of the Matasad Matas dynamic. So that allows for a clear division, and it also centers the full and new moon in the middle of each of those fortnights. And then the next thing would be, um, so so we have these Ewos clusters. Um, and as I said, they appear fairly regularly on the calendar. Um, they oddly appear in different months, but that's because many of the, that's because these holidays all have a certain, at least for modern reference sake, they all start a certain distance from solstices. And one actually does from the spring equinox. No, there's nothing for the autumnal one. But the rest of them tend to start a certain distance from the from one from one or the other solstice. The solstices themselves are not marked as holidays, but there are holidays closely that are fairly close to them that use lunar phases as references. Most uh, most of these Ewoi tend to last about seven days, so about a week. And this is uh, this could be either because a they had feasts. Uh, festivals that lasted that long, or B, they were considered like a range of days in which you could hold a given uh, festival. So we have some uh, pretty interesting points. Um, there are, you know, like the four well-known Irish uh, fire festivals, I guess they're sometimes called. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, like those all have correlations on the Caligony calendar, but so do other holidays, you know, so do other times. You know, as you have you have a feast pretty close to the uh, summer solstice. You have a one-day one that's uh, the full moon closest to the winter solstice. You have another that is the new moon closest to the vernal equinox. 
So we have, I think, about nine of these uh, either single-day uh, eboy or their clusters. Um, so each of these denoted a holiday, and the names of them tend to be uh, reconstructions. Um, I know B&G often picks them based on the time of year in which they fall. So like, of course, with Kentu Gyamos, um, the start of winter, we have uh, Kentu Samos, the start of summer, which of course, you know, occurs at the beginning of the other half of the year. Uh, Kolonos, um occurs in a time roughly, um, roughly equal to late January to mid-February. So it'll be in that kind of time frame. Um, there's one that's a uh, the full moon closest to the winter solstice, which we call Giomolitus, which just means the winter feast, uh, with Sonolitus, the spring feast, which occurs uh, the new moon closest to the vernal equinox. And yeah, these are all names that we've assigned them because they didn't, uh, to our knowledge at least, they did not specifically name any other holidays other than Trinoch Simoni, which, which happens fairly close to the summer solstice. Yeah, so a lot of these meanings to these holidays we've kind of had to assign on our own. How to convert from a Gregorian to Caligny? Let me um, know when you figure that out. Um, <laughs> because that one is... Legit. You really, you really can't. Um, there's no, like, there's nothing... The best thing you can do regarding the Caligny calendar versus the Gregorian Mm -hmm. Simply to assign as like the months in the Caligny, like um, like like we'll take like the first month, like Simonios. Simonios falls like sometime between May and June, so like it might be like mid May to mid June, or like early May to early June, or late May to late June. What are the different months in, in the Caligny calendar? All right, so traditionally there are. Now, there are 12 main months of the Caligny calendar. So this is excluding the two uh, intercalary months um, because the intercalary months are a little more controversial. We're not as sure about what they're called. Um, so people working with the Caligny calendar kind of have to just pick a answer to that and kind of stick with it for the time being, I suppose, until so unless somehow we figure the answer that out. Anyway, so you have the twelve main months. Um, there are different opinions on when these actually, when these actually occur. Some people think the calendar starts in, uh, starts the winter. Some people say it starts the summer. I'm firmly in the latter camp on that question. And so, um, so to give a runoff of the twelve months, um, the month of Simonios falls roughly in May to June. Uh, Dumonios, roughly June to July, uh, Rieros, um, July to August, Onaguntios, August to September, Abronios, September, October, and then, uh, Kotios would be like October, November, Kiamonios, November, December, uh, Simivosona, December to January, Equos, January, February, Alembiwos, February, March, Edrinios, uh, March to April, and then Kandos, uh, it'd be roughly April, May. Um, the intercalary months, there are two schools of thought. One is that um, those months were named uh, Kialos, which may mean something like here again, because I know key usually means like here in this place. Holos is um, other second, so like, uh, so maybe like the. Um, that which is placed second, 
you know, or that which, you know, something like that. Um, I'm not exactly a linguistic expert, so, um, but that was one of the theories I had heard about that. Otherwise, another, there's another thought that, that the first month was called, uh, Kimonios and the second one, uh, Lenteranos. You know, that's the one I had to go with. That way I have two different names for the, for the specific intercalary months. Uh, Kimonios would be the one that always, uh, is always the first intercalary month and, uh, Rantaranos the um, second. Uh, I find that works easier, um, but it could go either way. Um, otherwise, they could both be Kialos. And uh, Kimonios would be inserted at the beginning of the first year. So it would take, um, you know, like an April, May, May, June area. And uh, Rantaranos, on the other hand, you know, like uh, October-ish, November-ish, like it's hard to say. Like it, it gets like wedged in there. <laughs> Um, so something that you did kind of cover, which was a, a question of mine, um, that I might, might as well get to it now, was the um, the Gaulus New Year, and and I know that caused quite a bit of a debate. Among, it? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it uh, it I, I remember that was a big uh, big topic of discussion for a while, um, whether it starts in the winter or where it starts in the summer. Because the reason why that one is so important is simply because. Obviously, if you're going to celebrate a new year, you got to know when the new year is. So it's, you know, so it's totally understandable. Uh, people, you know, tend to strongly one way or the other about that issue. You know, I, I'm certainly one of the people that would say based on the few of the etymologies of the months that we are more comfortable in knowledge wise, would say that it would start in the summer. This is not unlike the Attic calendar, uh, which also starts in the summer and which again has that distinction of months we talked about earlier with the Matis and Matis and for the Attic calendar full hollow. So I thought that was quite interesting. Um, you know, and so that, that, that led me to believe that there are, you know, other than a couple of these months that we are more comfortable with, assuming their um, et- etymologies, you know, that, that, that would lead us to say this only. And that puts us to, uh, you know, Noyo Bladani, the new year. And that's another one. We don't know, really know if the Gauls like celebrated new years like that, uh, or if those would have just been worked into their, uh, to any West cluster that is there or, or not, it'd be just like worked into those celebrations as well. Uh, so like, uh, for, um, BNG, for example, that's what we do. We work, uh, our Noyo Blidani, our new year celebrations in with, uh, you know, can sum us, um, start of summer since it's right there. That's, uh, cause there's an EWAS cluster right at the beginning of the year. So yeah, that, so that's where, um, we had a pretty good celebration of that at the beginning of the year, a few months ago, you know, uh, I quite enjoyed it. You know, that was about five months ago, I believe. See, I, at this point I'm, I'm thinking in long, along the lines of the college months, I'm like, yeah, it's about five months ago. So yeah, you know, it was five months ago. It was a, it's quite a lovely celebration, but again, that's another one that like a cut to uh, we don't know how particular they were about, about the new year. Uh, so that's something we kind of added in, you know, so we, so that one's fairly modern. Like we have like a countdown and stuff, you know, we, and, you know, we like to get to drinking, which I did. And, yeah. And so, uh, even I did, I'm not really a drinker, but regardless, uh, one of the things we do for that is we, uh, give offering to, uh, Karnanos, uh, because of his position as a, you know, liminal is a liminal type that stands between two worlds. And uh, one of the things we offered to him would be things like mead or honey. You know, honey, if you can't get a hold of mead, it's totally fine. Um, because it's, you know, it's sweet, it's golden. Uh, so, you know, 
gentleness and prosperity for the coming year uh, was the motivation behind that. And really that was based off of the color, <laughs> you know, longevity, prosperity, uh, because obviously like honey lasts a very, very long time. So yeah, longevity, prosperity, you know, sweetness, gentleness, you know, the year I think those, you know, those are good wishes for a new year. And that's what we offer to Carnanos on that day. Well, that night. And due to the lovely weather that time of year, you know, it makes it all the better. What else can we uh, talk about with the Caligny calendar? Well, uh, one thing I suppose I could plug in the app, uh, which is just uh, Caligny-app.com. You know, that way people can see app for themselves. Yeah. Pretty easy and accessible calendar. Uh, I say one of the cool things about the Caligny calendar is there was a scribal mistake in it. The way, I mean, it's, it's known that there's a scribal mistake. There was debate on, because there's like a, there's one that's like a three Ewos days. And then there's like another Ewos a month later that has its full seven. And obviously, like, I don't want to speak authoritatively and say, like, I'm right and, you know, the ancient goals somehow got wrong. But it's assumed to be an error because um, because there isn't a holiday pattern in any other uh, any of the other years quite like it. Uh, so what I deduced from that is that the Ewos markings that are only three days does fit the holiday pattern of being X amount of uh, moon phases before or after a solstice. In this case, the holiday we've celebrated today, Kentabiamos, which is, you know, the first quarters before the winter solstice. So that's where there was the three-day uh, Ewos that was there this year. This only happens once every full cycle. And so I noticed then there was the Ewos this next month that doesn't fit that pattern. So it's either A, they had two this, this time, and one holiday fits that pattern, and the other just is there every new cycle or that's the one that didn't belong and the one that wasn't finished you know or and that the one we're on now just wasn't finished you know that's possible too because this one fits the pattern um in fact one of the things i would say is that if somebody's not well versed in the collecting calendar the majority of the holidays that are on it in fact i would say you know all of all of the ones that are on it uh, that aren't like the newer ones, like Cut to Celestia, it would be a lot hard to tell. But uh, one of the things to do with that is uh, one notices that there are so many holidays, um, so many uh, phases before or after a solstice. That's the biggest guide I can give. Um, so if you know when the solstices are, you know, uh, and the middle equinox, if you know when those are, then um, it's a lot easier to to know when the holidays are, even if you don't know the calendar well. So, like, if I know that Kentagamos is two first quarter moons before the winter solstice, if I look for when the first quarter moon is two before that, I'm going to be on the same holiday pattern as everybody else, even if I don't even look at a collecting calendar or any particular version of it. So I find that very useful. I mean, first quarters, uh, the quarter moon's pretty easy to see. You know, So that's why I, I like them. There's a little less debate around, like... It's a little less debate to the naked eye, you know, so I recommend those. Well, thanks for coming on and talking about the clinic calendar, Nellis, and we'll definitely have you on uh, for a few other topics and um, probably more holiday stuff. Anything you got to add, Bernagara? Uh, no, not at all. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank you for having me. Appreciated being on here. Uh, thank you for the opportunity uh, letting me speak. No problem. We'll definitely have you on some more. specific episode later on down the road just to clarify that recording was done back 
on October 24th, I believe. So that's when we were talking to him. So when, every time he said today, that, that's what he was talking about. <laughs> it does get a little confusing. We do uh, recording clips around our own schedules. Exactly, yeah. And I know this week has been very exhausting for both of us. I think it's kind of been exhausting for an entire country of people. Oh, <laughs> uh, you're not kidding. I, I did a Facebook Live thing earlier, and I mentioned how I goofed on both the very first Word of the Week and uh, the um, Grove Assembly post where I used an older image. Uh, it was very embarrassing that not once, but twice, I just was unfocused and uh, posted inaccurate stuff. <laughs> it happens, and that's okay. For uh, those of you tuning in, we split our recording sessions up based around our regular schedules, and so that means that our episodes get recorded in clips. Just to make sure it's clearly understood, the clip that w that was on the Caligny calendar, you're gonna that was recorded back in October, um, on the 24th ish. It is now November 8th, Veterans Day, and uh, we are recording the tail end of the episode so that we can get it out on the 15th. Mm -hmm. Exactly, and usually our recording days are like Saturday or Sunday night, just because that's just the best time for our schedule to link up. It's because I work very late on Mondays, and you are three hours behind me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're you're East Coast. I'm West Coast. So um, I think that the that the Caligny calendar is definitely a confusing topic. Holidays in general, with reconstructing them, can get a little confusing with with Gaulish polytheism. But I think that once we get a better idea and we've got more established holidays, it'll be a little easier to follow. But I think definitely that the Caligny calendar, trying to understand it from a so to speak, civilian, quote-unquote, perspective is definitely a wee bit complicated. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Nellis himself, on a couple of occasions I've talked to him, has said that, it, 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 you know, celebrate it however you want to celebrate it. Oh, definitely, yeah. All right. So, um, I believe we are going to go over the Gaulish virtue of the episode. And just a quick reminder, these virtues we're taking from the Tauta Galation, and I think there's like eight of them or so. But once we're wrapped up with them, we'll move on to uh, BNGs and then Cenobes' uh, uh, Bolgan. And we will also, later on down the road, cover a little more into depth on what BNG is, what Tauta Galation is, and then what Cenobes' Bolgan is. Hopefully we'll be able to get a representative for each of them to come in and talk to us about them as well. Um, just so that we have a kind of a broader, more clear view. But that's going to be probably next season. I think we're going to try and keep it basic this season. So I am going to butcher this word. Is it Curia? You know, I'm, I never really clarified with Kuno or, uh, or Branos. Um, we're just going to go with Curia. Sure. It sounds, it's, uh, it, sounds fancy. it sounds fancy to say. Sounds fancy to say because I took Spanish in high school. <laughs> so did I. <laughs> <laughs> oh, West Coast educations. All right, so... Uh, what we're going to talk about is the virtue of Korea, which is loyalty, sincerity, and good faith. And um, what does that mean to you, Articados? Well, first off, not to digress too, too much, but this actually came up when I was posting the uh, the virtues on, on uh, the Tao of Facebook and whatnot. But these are inspired by the ancient Gauls. These, these are, we don't have any historical evidence that says that this, these were their virtues. With that said, though, we can look at what historical record we do have and kind of pinpoint certain areas where they did apply these kind of things. And then, of course, applying them into a modern sense. Now, with that out of the way, to me, loyalty is a big, big thing. And, and this is something I mentioned in, back in episode one, is that I was, I, you know, I'm a United States Marine. 
So loyalty is a big deal to me. It, it's something that I've shown with family and, and different jobs that I've had. Just being loyal and having good faith in something, even when the stuff's hitting the fan a little bit and it just feels unfair and your loyalty's feeling not exactly repaid in a way. And that's something that I have learned the hard way on many times that of putting loyalty in the wrong place. I, uh, not to, uh, not to get too much into my, my drama, but I, uh, I, I spent six years at a, at a job that clearly didn't care about me. They just, they, they saw that I wasn't going to quit. So, and they, they just, they're just like, okay, well, let's put this guy in this job that, that we just need someone there. We just need someone with a heartbeat and a set of hands there. And we're just going to just use him as kind of like a scapegoat and just things like that. I'm also in the process of getting out of a, a 10-year marriage, which shouldn't have lasted a year. And that's and those are really personal examples of putting your loyalty and good faith in the wrong place. I can definitely understand that. Um, for me, I was also in the military, so for... The Navy, it's honor, courage, and commitment uh, are the core values that they instill in us uh, at the tender young age of, I shouldn't be allowed to make adult decisions at 18. But they're <laughs> ones that have definitely stuck with me. And so one of the things I really like about the virtues that, that we're establishing in, in Dalish polytheism throughout the various different, various different right. groups is that they kind of give you a little bit of guidance on on how to kind of help your personal behavior uh, reflect your community, your core beliefs, your your core values. Um, and for me, loyalty is something that is also very important, but it is something that can reach an endpoint. If somebody does something that goes against my core beliefs, loyal or not, I have to be ready to stand up and say, here's where I disagree or something along those lines. I need to be, be willing to stand up to that as well, which I think kind of spills over into the good faith uh, and definitely into the sincerity. Having loyalty, blind loyalty for me, isn't gonna be something that'll ever happen because blind loyalty leads to an almost cult-like mentality. Um, you can be loyal, but you need to be sincere. You can have good faith in people, but you need to be sincere. You need to be able to look at it and say, I see what you're saying and I understand it, but this goes against the core of who I am and this goes against the core of what I believe. And so you need to be able to stand up to it. But I, And I think for me, that's what real loyalty is, is knowing when to stand up and say, this isn't okay. Absolutely. I, I, I couldn't agree with that more. Now, looking at it in a historical sense, one story that comes to mind because I don't have a book in front of me, and we'll definitely go into Gaulish history more in depth around down the road. I know we, I know it's in our, it's in our uh, list of uh, episodes to do, but I believe it's in the Gallic Wars. There is a set of brothers from the Adui tribe. One was pro-Roman, the other was anti-Roman. Now, both of these, both of these men, both of them had loyalty and they were good faith and sincerity for their people, their tribe. They just went about it in two very big extremes. Well, there's Dumb Norix, who was the anti-Roman. I'm probably going to get this quote wrong, but I believe he said that he would rather be enslaved by Gauls than by Romans. While his brother, I, uh, that, I, that his name I cannot remember. It's, um, it's like Diviacus <laughs> or, or something along those, something along those lines. <laughs> but uh, he sought to preserve his people by siding with Rome, seeking protection from him. And, and I think both of these men had 
the absolute best of intentions, but they just went about the total opposite directions on uh, on how to do that. Yeah, um, that sounds that sounds like they definitely <laughs> came at it from different ends, um, and I can't imagine that that was particularly oh. easy on their people or on each other. But oh, sometimes so. loyalty, I, I, uh, yeah. loyalty, it, it's the reason why loyalty can't be blind. It, you have to be able to look at an entire situation. And know when to say, okay, this is nonsense, or where can we compromise, or what what can we do to make this better for our people? And I think right now, with our Gaulish polytheistic community being so small and so specific, <laughs> <laughs> that we need to be able to find that compromising ground amongst everybody to be able to build a solid community and there are and yeah like you said we are a very small community but there are people with very different opinions and it has led to arguments that i've seen here and there but for the most part we do get along there are people who keep gaulish polytheism and trying to maintain the, the growth and success of it in mind and and setting their own personal egos aside but that's not always the case i, I think everyone's got a story about how they had a friend in the wrong that they were doing something that they knew was wrong but they just, they didn't want to damage that friendship to do the right thing. And, but that's kind of where, kind of touch on Gaul a little bit, just to have that courage to do the right thing, even though it may damage a friendship. But, it's kind of hard to explain this. Sometimes to show good loyalty for your friend is to do the right, to do the best thing for them, even when they don't want it. Yeah. If that makes I can sense. actually think of a lot of situations where things like that have come up in my personal life, even where it's happened to me. Oh. A lot of what I see with it is uh, mental health stuff. You see it a lot in there because it'll be a thing that needs to happen, but, you know, the person that needs it to happen isn't going to do it or is going to think that it's being done because everybody hates them or something like that. I, I do definitely understand what you're saying. And that is that is a that is a kind of loyalty. It's oftentimes the hardest kind um, of loyalty. Absolutely. Something I've always had uh, issues with is um, a lot of family issues. And of course, family is a big deal for me. But I have family members who are in the wrong at times. And I had a fight with uh, siblings not too long ago about a personal decision I was making that I felt was the best for me personally. And, it, and I knew it was going to make life for my family a little harder, but I knew it was best for me and my mental health. And I think the first person you have to be loyal to is yourself at times. I mean, you can't you can't kind of lay yourself on the sacrificial block for, for everyone just to make them happy because you're only going to be damaging yourself. Yeah, that circles back around to what I said earlier about you have to know when to stand up and say this goes too far against my core beliefs. Absolutely, yeah. You do have to have some self-loyalty. Otherwise, you're just more or less, you're, you're not having the strength necessary to be able to carry on a healthy life. Exactly, and you're just probably not the best term, but you're essentially making yourself an indentured servant. You're, you're serving someone else while hurting yourself. Yep, and that is unfortunately something we see very commonly. Yeah. And that kind of wraps into the sincerity. You can't sincerely be there for everybody if you are not there for yourself. Exactly. And just, you're not going to make everyone happy. And I think that's just the reality that a lot of people just don't quite grasp. Or they, or it, it happens in a way that they don't expect. Yeah, absolutely. And you're going to make decisions. You're going to do things with your life that's going to piss off someone. So you have to be able to make the decision to be loyal and sincere to yourself. Or you're just going to have someone else direct your life. <laughs> 
And in turn of being able to do that for yourself, you can also do it for others. But you have to be able to do it for yourself first. That was a hard pill to swallow when I learned that lesson. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm the type of person who will give, give, and give, and give until I have nothing left and then just, you know, collapse. But it was a hard-learned lesson. (laughs) All right. I mean, you know, years at a job I I didn't like and and that didn't respect me, years in 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 a marriage that that was falling apart I just couldn't say, I just couldn't give in to what was best for me so yeah I, I learned it the hard way big time I think we've all done that <laughs> <laughs> well before we end this thing later on this month on the 21st on discord we are having a grove assembly Tom Kellios of the grove assembly we're gonna have a couple of different speakers talk about gala stuff including myself so definitely come on there you don't have to stay on discord but you can definitely come in check it out and just uh, and, le- and learn some stuff all right and so next month we are going to be covering what is gaulish polytheism we will have a special guest and that will be kino bellinis who is uh, over there in charge of the Tauta Galation. And also, please do remember that we do release our episodes on the 15th of every month. And you can find us all over social media. On Facebook and Instagram, we are under Gallcast, And on Twitter, we are under Gallcast Podcast, because apparently Gallcast was already taken. So thank you very much for hanging out with us and uh, listening to our podcast. And we will see you next time. See you later. See you later. That's, 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 that's. Thank you very much for hanging out with us and uh, listening to our podcast, and we will see you next time. See you later. That's, that's, that's. See you later. That's, 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 that's. See you later. That's see you later. That's that's that's. I think that Twitter is the um. Where, where, hang on, let me. Uh, Twitter should be Gullcast. Yeah, yeah. I think. That, yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay. Hold on, let me double check. Damn it! Now I gotta go look. <laughs> Some point in time, someone's gonna get a hold of our like unedited shit, and they're gonna be like, "Good lord, they're just so disorganized." Like, I promise, we're not. <laughs> I promise. Uh, got a spreadsheet. Uh, Twitter <laughs> is Gallcast Podcast. All right. Do you want to do um, the uh, Grove Assembly, and then I'll do the rest of the closeout? Uh, sure. Okay. Well, before we end this thing, uh, I, uh, later on this month, actually, about this is coming out on the fifteenth, so on uh, about six days on the twenty-first. On Discord, if you go on there and uh, get into Gallcast, uh, we are having a Grove Assembly. Um, uh, Comraton, I cannot remember the other word. Kelios. Kelios. Comraton Kelios of the Grove Assembly. Uh, and uh, we're going to have a, a couple of different speakers talk about Gaul stuff, including myself. Um, so definitely come on there. Uh, and, and you, don't have to, you don't have to stay on Discord. Uh, you don't have to stay on Discord, but you can definitely come in, check it out, um, and just uh, and, le- and learn some stuff. All right. And for next month, we are going to be covering the uh, – let me see. Hold on. Let me try that over again. <laughs> All right. And so next month, we are going to be covering what is Gaulish polytheism. 
Uh, we will have a special guest, and that will be Kuno Bellinis, who is uh, over there in charge of the Tauta Galation. Uh, and also, please do remember that we do release our episodes on the 15th of every month, and you can find us all over social media. On Facebook and Instagram, we are under Gallcast, and on Twitter, we are under Gallcast Podcast, because apparently Gallcast was already taken. So thank you very much for hanging out with us and uh, listening to our podcast, and we will see you next time. See you later.